Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on Hawk Fanatic. Uh, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. I am Rob Howe. We are recording on Thursday, July the 29th, a little bit before 9.30 a.m. Central time. Not much really going on in sport, college sports these days. <laughs> um, I did see uh, SUNY Lee. Scott won the Olympic all around and she is headed to the SEC. You know this? SEC, War Eagle. Yeah, exactly. Um, but hey, you know, she's a she's from Minnesota. She's a great story. I'm happy for her. And uh, you know, maybe that'll maybe that'll be fun to watch tonight, you know. Um, you know, after all the the uproar with Simone Biles the last few days. So uh, you know, happy for her. You know, it's been a weird, uh, it's been a weird Olympics. Let's put it that way. Yes. Another star from the middle of the country heading to the SEC. That's really been the, that's, that's been the storyline now for the last week. So why not have the Olympic all around gold medalist leave us for the SEC? Yeah. You, you, you get a tight end from Omaha going to Auburn and now you get the, <laughs> the best gymnast in the world, at least the gold medal gymnast in the world. So yeah, what's uh, you know, SEC. And then, and then of course, uh, you know, there are two well-known um, athletic programs that have their eyes on the, the beauty that is the Southeastern conference. Yeah. This has been wild, Scott, and we'll try not. It's so, it's such a big thing. We'll try not to um, dive too deep into kind of that, you know, what it means for Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC, but more of what it means for college football and how, how it relates to the Big Ten and then also the schools within our state. Obviously, Iowa State is directly affected by this. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, as a state school, as is Iowa, you were at the Regents yesterday. Iowa's connected to this, whether it likes it or not, because Iowa State's involved in this. So, um, I guess let's start there. Kind of, you went up to the Regents meeting in uh, in Cedar Falls yesterday on Wednesday, July the twenty eighth, and got to talk to Wendy Winterstein, and uh, you know, got an Iowa State some of the Regents' point of view on this. Are they still kind of shell shocked on this? I mean, they they're. I, I would think because this kind of such an enormous, this is so enormous 
usually there's a you know there's a lead into this, but it just was boom, here it is, you know, deal with the fallout. This was the most shocking of the uh, realignment situations that I've seen. You know, I even remember in the early 90s with Penn State and Ar- yeah. you know, go- and then Arkansas going to the SEC, Penn State to the Big Ten, Notre Dame saying no to the Big Ten, and and on. I but this one came out of the blue. Um, even in 10 years ago when, uh, you know, Jim Delaney announced in, in a news release that the Big Ten was now active and looking at uh, potential candidates for expansion. And, and so, therefore, it all kind of started and it, it really is, is continued on. But, but everybody, even though some of that situation was just crazy, hour by hour, it was changing everybody knew something was going to happen. We didn't know. I mean, we recorded a podcast nine days ago leading into big 10 media days. And it was kind of like almost ho-hum, here we go. And then, and then the next day, you know, the news broke that, wow, here we, here we are. And um, the Iowa state point of view from whether it's Jamie Pollard releasing, you know, a video on Monday night or talking to Wendy Winderstein and some of the regents yesterday, is that uh, if there was shock, it's gone. Um, right now, they're trying to be patient. At least the Iowa State point of view is be patient. Things will happen, uh, not to panic. I think they're trying to focus as best as they can or keep the focus on on what could be a potentially uh, historical football season. And they don't want anything to interrupt it from the momentum of that. So, But that said, the future is chaotic it's it's uncertain of course and it's potentially devastating and from a financial standpoint for this university and it has deep ramifications for Iowa and for the region and a couple of the interesting takeaways one is the regents are not involved they will not be involved um, it's too they are absolved politically um, from being involved because they're all uh, most of them, you know, were I, uh, graduates in, in the state somewhere. A lot of them are Iowa State, some are Iowa, and you don't want to have that kind of influence. Um, it does come from the legislature and, and the governor, but not from the, the regents themselves. So that absolves them from any, you know, thing, meddling, I guess it would be. Uh, for Iowa, it's obviously an interested party. It has to be. Because what's what happens with Iowa State directly impacts what happens with Iowa. If Iowa State wants to be in the Big Ten, it has to formulate a response. I think, and I know there would be heavy resistance from Iowa uh, to anything resolving that. And and I also say, um, I don't think Minnesota and Nebraska would be um, linking arms and saying, "Sure, come on in," either. Um, because they are, I mean, uh, you know, near, you know, three within three hour drive of, of Ames themselves. So mm-hmm. that would muddy the, the battlefield for recruiting and for influence as well. Uh, additionally, um, if Iowa State keeps its ties with the Big 12, if it expands and picks up a Cincinnati or a Houston or whomever, then what's the, the status of? Iowa State and does it 
uh, you know, do the fans start to drift away? Does the interest in Iowa State and the Des Moines area in particular wane? Does it shift to the Iowa point of view? Does it cost them recruits? I mean, if they don't have enough money, do they get great coaches and can they keep and maintain that, that staff? Can, uh, you know, what recruiting, everything is impacted by what happens to Iowa State going forward. If it's a Pac-12 school, um, if the Pac-12 invites it as an AAU institution, then it's on an equal playing field again with the Big Ten. If it's not, then Iowa has to decide if it wants to continue some of these initiatives and series with Iowa State. So it, it directly impacts Iowa in a way that, you know, well, I should say right now indirectly, but what happens to Iowa State directly impacts Iowa. And of course, at Iowa State point of view, um, the future is, is very uncertain right now. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to point out with the shift of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC, that structure of power five, people need to kind of throw that out, you know, throw that away because yeah. we're going to have to see where all the dust settles here. And it, it may settle somewhere in the next, you know, several years and then shift again. So mm -hmm. it's going to, you know, the status of certain schools could change a lot in the next decade, decade and a half. And <clears throat> that's going to obviously impact. I mean, the big 10 is strong. I, I was on super solid ground there. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting, interesting to see, you know, we can talk about this kind of the big tens um, response to what happens in the sec. I've heard some, it's, it's fun to speculate on this stuff, Scott, but really, um, some of the stuff is, I've read has just been kind of outlandish and, and silly. Uh, <laughs> go figure on this right. day and age when everybody's trying to shock everybody for, uh, you know, attention. But um, it's important to point out here that the SEC, and no disrespect for, to these schools, they're not adding Texas Tech and Kansas State. They're adding two premier powers from college football, historic powers to their conference. So just speculating that the Big Ten is going to start adding these adding schools willy-nilly is, is foolish. I mean, you want to – if the Big Ten does end up adding, it's going to be – you know, they're going to want to add marquee schools. They've already added Maryland and Rutgers, and you probably know more about this from a financial impact. It really hasn't helped the Big Ten from an exposure standpoint at all. Those two schools have just been awful at um, – Football been okay at basketball and, and other sports, but from a football standpoint, and then they you add Nebraska and Nebraska, you know, has been in decline really since they joined the Big Ten. So I think the Big Ten's really got to be careful here. I think it will. I like that Barry Alvarez is a part of this along with Kevin Warren. Um, so I think there's good guidance here. I just I don't think there's a reason for the Big Ten to pack. Not at all. You're right. hundred percent. Right. Um, and I think having, having Barry Alvarez in that chair, and I've talked to a few people around the league um, that they're thrilled by that because they, 
there isn't a lot of confidence right now in Kevin Warren. Maybe he changes that vibe, and but um, they weren't real thrilled with his response, his response to the questions at Media Day the first day. Um, they're, they're really uncertain. However, whether it's Barry Alvarez or some of the uh, athletic directors in the league like Gene Smith, they can help guide him in certain directions that maybe ultimately help them out. But, but, you know, there, there've been some losses, you know, there's been a loss of a lot of leadership in the big 10, um, you know, on the deputy level. And, and then there's been, you know, Jim Phillips, who, who was probably the most influential athletic director. He was at Northwestern and probably should have been the big 10 commissioner is now the ACC commissioner. And he's, uh, he's going to be active in this, the big tens, uh, you know, it made moves that made sense in the minute. And Jim Delaney, uh, I thought, made good moves for the league in what it wanted to accomplish. Uh, but on the playing field, it has not materialized. Nebraska at that time in 2010 was still a considered not only a blue blood, but a potential powerhouse. It was removed less than 10 years removed from uh, national championship appearances. Uh, less than 15 from actual national champions. Uh, so it was still a, a school that moved the needle. And uh, so I think that was something that made sense. Maryland and Rutgers, it was for, hey, the it's a volatile time out east. Where the Big East is crumbling. Um, you The corridor, as he says, you know, from Washington and all the way up to Boston, frankly, is the richest corridor in the world. You wanted to get involved in that market and to get those two schools, uh, Rutgers and Maryland, helped solidify that. It grew the brand of the Big Ten and it also grew, um, you know, the the financial structure all the way up to, you know, this year they're going to be making, you know, 56, 57 million dollars a piece. So when it looks at what's next for the Big Ten um, a school, it has to add value that goes beyond $57 million a year that, that ESPN, that Fox, that other entities are gonna say, yes, that's, that makes sense. When you look at the big 12 right now, the two, but there, as we know, the big 10 is structured differently where it really cares about the consortium of the AAU, you know, membership. And so there's only two members, uh, future members, I guess, of the big 12. And they, Iowa State and Kansas that are members of that. And as we've said, you know, there's a lot of, there's going to be resistance to Iowa State. And frankly, how much, what do you gain with Iowa State? Yes, today the football program is healthy and strong. Is it always going to be that way when Matt Campbell ultimately leaves? Um, Kansas, as a basketball program, it, it's, it certainly moves the needle. However, basketball, the worst football program matters more than the best basketball program when it comes to realignment. And, and so that probably rules them out. So where do you look? You look probably to the West coast, to the PAC 12, which has been a, a partner Frank of the big 10 for since the mid 1940s with the big, with the Rose bowl pact. I mean, nine out of the 12 schools in the uh, PAC 12 are, are AAU institutions. If the big 10, had interest in acquiring or bringing in some of those schools, you've got major markets, you've got underperforming financial institutions and networks. Uh, you know, you've got 
you can solidify uh, LA market, number two in the country, San Francisco, which is in the top five, six, seven, wherever it lands every year, Seattle, which is top 15, um, you know, potentially Denver or Phoenix, um, you know, so there's all these, the market size, but then more than anything, I think this structure, what the SEC has done has told us that not only does do markets matter, but influence and power matter. And because and, Oklahoma and Texas are the two strongest teams to switch leagues. Uh, Nebraska is not in their league as far as right now and in, in, in influence. So it would have to be, in my opinion, I think the Big Ten would have to probably try to grab six schools from the Pac-12 to just make that up that influence. And the, does that make sense? Does Do those schools even want to consider it? Does the pack does it make sense to have a, a an agreement of, of, with the Pac-12 that kind of isn't necessarily a merger, but kind of a uh, more than a handshake agreement? And maybe the Big Ten offers some help there. I don't know, but I think the Big Ten cannot stand pat and do nothing. But ultimately, they may do nothing, and it may be the right move. Yeah, the Pac-12 to me is the, is pretty much the the I want to say the only way to go here, but the, really the, the first way to go. And mm-hmm. if that you know, if you can add USC, Cal, uh, Stanford, whatever you know, as you said, Washington, um, Oregon, but, you get Nike. <laughs> yeah, Oregon, you get Nike. Um, so yeah, I mean that makes the most sense, and it it stretches you from DC, New York, New Jersey all the way to LA and everything in between pretty much. So especially if you were to add Colorado in there and that Denver market, and then you went Southwest with the Arizona schools, however you wanted to do it, you could pretty much blanket the whole country. Um, But it'll be interesting to just kind of see how this all shakes out because, you know, does it end up being like three super conferences, you know, ACC, and the ACC is going to have to do something here too. Um, SEC, Big Ten, does the Pac-12 survive? What happens with the Big 12? Um, you know, a school like Houston is in a really big market. Can it leverage itself now into one of these super conferences? I just, it's going to be fascinating to see how this all unfolds. I mean, I think there's still value in even the remaining members of the Big 12. Um, my guess is, I, I mean, I do know that West Virginia is wants to be in the ACC and it makes sense for a million yeah. reasons. Because it didn't uh, make she, sense for them to be in the 12. Right, <laughs> right. They, they just needed a lifeboat and they didn't right. care that they were sailing away to this desert island. Uh, but, you know, they couldn't, they're, they, so, you know, in their press release on Monday, the West Virginia's athletic director really put forth, a, a, you know, made a compelling case for its academics. And that's really what's what the holdup was all along in joining the ACC. So if the ACC can leverage Notre Dame into a full membership in football and grab West Virginia, it's a 16 team league. It's it's healthy. It's probably where it needs to be. It's still not a powerhouse league by any stretch, but it it's at the table. Um, the Southeastern Conference, you know, is now will be a 16 team league. Um, it's it's where it probably should be. Although if you're the ACC, you've got to be cognizant that 
Clemson is an attractive option. Virginia Tech, Florida State. There's some yep. football out there that uh, that could be you know important. The the Pac-12 has to be you know curious. You know that I know the rumors are flying about the Big Ten. I think that's speculative on my part and Andy Staples' part and everybody else's part, which is well that's the one last frontier of college sports that's free. They don't try to go after that, but um, I don't know that there's a lot of interest for them in coming east. Uh, maybe, maybe they do look at a, at a Kansas and an Iowa state and think that that's different for us. That's something we can expand to. Uh, maybe that's something that they'll consider, but, you know, and then, and then of course the big 10, it's been the most powerful entity, not necessarily in football, but in uh, college athletics from a research consortium perspective, from a financial perspective, the markets, it all dictates that, but that is changing with these two teams. So right now, I, I think, you know, and, and then of course, I think with the, the holdovers, if they're, if let's say West Virginia does go to the ACC and there's seven teams in the central part of the country or the Great Plains part of the country, and they could still be a really fun league, you know, they might not have the same amount of influence or revenue, but I mean, those schools, and then you throw on a, a Houston, an SMU, maybe they go and, and entice Boise State and UCF or um, BYU or, or Cincinnati. And, and it can really funnel into a really interesting league that's competitive still. It maybe doesn't grab the eyeballs or attention that the, certainly the SEC or Big Ten has, but it could be a fun league and, and it could still have some influence and certainly get into the playoffs. But um but right now, it's almost premature to sug- We can all suggest and, and speculate, but it's it's really we're a long way away from knowing the true ramifications of what's going on. Another uh, branch of this is this ESPN uh, mm-hmm. angle on this. Bob Bowlesby kind of uh, went from the morning stage to the anger. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what the stages of grief are in order or how they go, but Bob Bowlesby is at the anger stage at this point. Commissioner of the Big Ten, former Iowa athletic director. I've seen that anger stage uh, mm-hmm. in person before <laughs> when he was here in Iowa City uh, for some things I've written or uh, things he didn't agree with. But um, pretty heavy charge, Scott. He's charging ESPN with trying to manipulate. Uh, the uh, you know, picking over the uh, you know kind of the well, I don't know what the word I'm looking for but you know getting involved in trying to pick apart the Big Twelve I mean that's he says he has evidence too if that's the case man this is big this is a huge deal he does he has it. It's a huge deal. It's big and it's uh, compelling and it's going to be very intriguing how far this goes. Do I see it going to court? No, Uh, but I do see this is the type of leverage that can be exercised by Bullsby and the Big 12 to ensure that it has a uh, a lasting impression on college sports. Because if ESPN decides, you know what, uh, they, they know they've got us. And because uh, what is being alleged and what is seems to be uh, the case is that 
they conspired uh, knowing that Texas and Oklahoma wanted to go to the SEC and then their um, agreement with the SEC, the sole agreement, by the way, with the SEC in 2023, or I think it's 23, when the CBS deal goes kaput, that um, it will increase the value of their properties. And then that they talk to uh, the American conference and uh, athletic conference and made the suggestion that you could incorporate the other members of that and then we'll boost you up and basically remove the big 12 from every from the map and uh, so he's got evidence of that it's compelling and it's going to that's what's going to drag this out and espn is going to be caught you know not red-handed yet but the you know the red's out and so that's what's i don't know man i mean I, i bob's Bob's right. I mean, save your conference if you can and save the institutions you're trying to protect. Because if um, if ESPN did all this and they want to settle, it very well could be you're going to pay us the same rate <laughs> from yeah. 2025 through 2035. And uh, and then, uh, you know, then if you're Iowa State and Kansas State and Oklahoma State, you're going, well, all right sucks that we don't have Texas and Oklahoma, but at least we're not going to die here financially uh, like we were projected to do so right now. Yes, um, a lot. This seems like a story that's going to continue, just can keep continuing on through the rest of the summer and then into football season and probably, um, I guess, from a personal standpoint, Scott, I, it kind of sucks. I mean, we were kind of, we were in Indianapolis last week, gearing up, trying to get, you know, back to normal, so to speak. We got to go to Big Ten Media Day in Indianapolis after it being wiped out, like a lot of things last year by COVID. And you're kind of like, all right, we're getting back. You know, college football season's coming. Everybody's kind of gearing up. And this is just kind of taking, I, I you know, probably for the SEC and, the, and Oklahoma and Texas, it's great. But for everybody else, it's just kind of taking the air out of it. You know, it just kind of is just, I don't know. I, and maybe I'm old man yelling at cloud here, but I just, the super conferences and, you know, the rich getting richer, to me, that's not great for college sports. No, it isn't. And uh, we've seen more change in that direction in the last six months and certainly even the last two months than we've ever had before. I mean, NIL coming through, we've seen, the NCAA, its its influence is declining, and I think there's a vacuum there. And the SEC decided to st- take a step forward. If it has all of these institutions, these powerful institutions and voices, then it can help dictate—not just create, but dictate—the terms of what's going to happen in the future for generations uh, regarding college athletics. And I don't like it. I don't—I frankly don't like it at all. Uh, but it's also the reality of the situation. And that's unfortunate. Um, You know, there are some pluses in some ways, you know, Hey, Texas, Texas A&M, they're, they're back on the field. And that was Mm -hmm. probably the, the, the death of rivalries was something I hated the most with realignment. And, you know, from way back when, when, uh, you know, Penn state left for the big 10, it vacated its rivalry with Pitt to Pitt, West Virginia, to uh, Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Nebraska, when they expanded and went to two different divisions and didn't play anymore in annual years, uh, um, on and on. Uh, 
there are a lot of defunct rivalries that are really, that's really sad. And, and Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's going to be on that vine as well. Uh, but, you know, well, what do you do going forward? How do you preserve what you have? And, and I, I'm with you, you know, we went to Indianapolis thinking, okay, this is a new normal scene again. You know, we're going to talk football and, and what's coming forward. And instead it, this swallowed it all up and it's swallowing it up right now. And even, you know, day by day, new big re- revelations are coming, you know, and, and I have to give props to the team that I work with at, every day at the athletic because they're uncovering new items on a hour by hour basis. And we have our own Slack channel and I'm kind of on the periphery. I do a contribute, but, but, you know, I mean, what is the big 10 saying? What about Iowa state? But, but, you know, for the ones who are directly involved in Oklahoma and Texas and, and at large, I mean, this is, this is a huge, huge, huge story. And, and I, I guess I would like to talk football at some point, but it's, it's still kind of, you know, beyond our, our grasp, even though practice starts in six days. Yeah. And geography, no more. That was the thing, too. That was always a big part of college football is that geography and, you know, proximity and building, you know, rivalries that way. And the Big Ten's kind of slowly gone this way as well. You know, Iowa was supposed to play Ohio State last year. That didn't happen. Um, hasn't played Ohio State since 2017. We all know what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you know, that's the marquee program in the conference, and Iowa doesn't play them very often. And it's just – it's almost like it's not even the Big Ten anymore. Well, right. You know, there have been – they've played Ohio State four times since 2005, twice at home and twice on the road. Last time they were in Columbus was 2013. If you think about it, a lot of the starters are 30 years old that were in that game. Yeah. That's incredible. This is the last time they played at the Death Star. And you measure yourself against the Buckeyes if you're in the Big Ten and, and Michigan to an extent. But but if, you know, hey, they were supposed to play last year, it didn't work. And, you know, I think they are next year. But but that schedule is going to get ripped up because of they, they had to switch six games and six sites for this year. And yeah. what's going to happen in the future for the Big Ten, even before this bombshell burst all over the place, you still had um, questions about, uh, you know, divisional play. You know, were they going to scrap divisions? Or what does this mean for the college football playoff? Um, what should the Big Ten do to position itself for it? Well, now the college football playoff, which is really incredible for all this time that Greg Sankey and Bob Bowlesby worked side by side on it. It's basically like um, the, the, you're, the person you share an office with has been cheating on you with your spouse forever and mm-hmm. now now they want to get a divorce and you're like how long ago did this happen well it started a year ago holy cow you know so um so what's going to happen to the college football playoff will it still be six conferences getting automatic buys i'm sure the sec is going to want to change that because their whole identity now with 18 or 16 teams and uh all of them a lot of them carrying significant value is to say we think we need five you know, of the, of the 12 playoff spots. So I don't know. It's exhausting thinking about it, isn't it? Yeah. And well, I'm sure talk about it frequently on this podcast, at least whatever the new news is week to week. Um, let's kind of get into some Iowa stuff though. I feel better uh, talking, <laughs> talking about that. Not a whole lot of um, newsworthy items down 
uh, in Indianapolis, Scott. Um, not, and we usually don't get a ton of news. It's usually, you know, little uh, nuggets like injuries and things like that. And uh, maybe academics or, you know, guys leaving the program, things like that. But uh, I think, I mean, as much as, you know, <laughs> as uh, much as we don't want to talk about this and I don't want to go too far into the weeds with it, it is now on the radar and something we have to watch. Um, the new, the biggest news was, you know, Kirk Ferentz revealing that 70% of the team is, is vaccinated, meaning 30% isn't. We've, uh, we saw yesterday uh, another major league baseball game was postponed because of an outbreak. Um, this is something we're going to have to monitor. Um, you know, and again, not to go too far into the weeds of what's going on in the country and to mask or not to mask and things like that. Um, the unvaccinated are being tested and Iowa dealt with it in June. They had contact tracing and knocked guys out of workouts. And there's a real possibility that this affects the season for the Hawkeyes. Without question. Um, when you look at the two teams that are right there with them in the last few years in, in Wisconsin and, and Northwestern. Northwestern's at about 95% and Wisconsin's about 85%. They play them in late uh, Wisconsin and Halloween weekend and, and Northwestern the following weekend. What happens if, hey, there's students going to be on campus. Everybody's going to go out. Everybody's going to do the things students do, which they, hey, they're students. Go do your thing. Um, but Let's say that there's a house full of unvaccinated football players and uh, all of a sudden one of them gets it from going downtown to the bars because other people aren't vaccinated. He gets it. The three people that live with him, they're all contact tracing. Maybe they're, they, they get dinged too. And that wipes out four or five players. What if one of them's a starter? What if that means on third and six against the Badgers, you're out of the lineup and a, they get a sack if you're an offensive lineman, or B, you're a defensive player or a defensive back, and you they you allow a first down pass from, from Graham Mertz. You lose the game by three points because of that play one way or the other. You are costing your team a chance to win uh, a game. And that's something that I think needs to hit home, frankly. I mean, if, if your health and safety, your trust in the government, whatever, doesn't really – move the needle for you. The fact is that if you're out of the game, if, if you and three or four of your buddies that you hang around with are all out for the Wisconsin game and you give up a third, you know, the Iowa gives up a third and six pass that leads to the game winning field goal because you're not in there. Well, guess what? It's your fault. It's your fault. You lost. And that needs to be pointed out. Um, it's, and so, you know, yes, there's freedom and Liberty and whatever, but you're letting your team down by not doing that. And, you know, I know other teams have had issues, you know, the Washington football team, only 50% of its, uh, I mean, NFL football team, only 50% of its players are, are vaccinated. I saw Ike Bucker went on the COVID list uh, for the Buffalo bills. Um, so there, this is a real issue. And if he knocks you out, it hurts the team and, so I, I think that needs to be impressed upon them as much as possible. And it's, again, 
I know the freedom and liberty and all that stuff. And you, you're, per, you know, certainly within your rights to make a decision on what you feel, you know, is best for you and what you want to do. But all the decisions we make um, have, you know, come with consequences, come with results. And if you choose to go down that road that you're not, you know, you, you're deciding that, you know, your personal beliefs or your personal view on this is overriding the team. That's certainly your right still, but just be prepared. And I think that's being impressed upon these guys from, from, you know, medical personnel at UI, the coaches, the athletic department. And I've had people ask me, well, can't Bowlesby just, you know, make sure, make them all get vaccinated. You can't do that. I don't know. Bowlesby can. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that. So all you can do is continue to educate and say, this is where we are guys and gals. And, And we should point out that the Iowa men's basketball team tweeted out the other day that everybody's vaccinated, the coaches, the players, the support staff, the trainers, everybody there is vaccinated. Um, much smaller group of people, but that puts them in a better position competitively than Iowa football is in right now. So all you can do is continue to educate and say, okay, this is what the value is of getting vaccinated. If you don't get vaccinated, these are the possible issues that we can have as a team. And now it's up to you. And I just, I hope it doesn't come to the point where, and again, we talked about this on last week's podcast. They're like last year when there were COVID issues, it was, you know, we can maybe reschedule the game. Are there open weeks? You couldn't do that in the big 10 from when it started, but other conferences were able to reschedule. That's off the table this year. If you can't play, that's a loss. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so that, yeah, there's a lot there and, I think they all have to realize the ramifications of their judgments. Now, you know, one, the, the biggest difference of all between last year and this year is last year, there was no vaccine. There was no, uh, you know, you tried your best to avoid it, but sometimes it was unavoidable to some extent and, you know, or somebody you knew was out and picked it up or whatever. That's not the case anymore. And um, considering the university of Iowa is clearly defined as one of the greatest medical centers in the world. Um, I would probably prefer to get my information from them if they say that this vaccination is, is dangerous and, and could cause life, you know, life altering situations and affect you in a negative way, then I would believe them. But if they say, no, this is the best way to go, then I would believe that too. Um, more than, you know, a lot of uh, Facebook memes from uncle Joe, you know, who, well, I heard this and, and we all know uncle Joe or my buddy, you know, who I went to school with, who, you know, we shot spit wads in, in, in science class and uh, barely passed. Well, he doesn't know more than a doctor. And so I, I'm taking my advice from a doctor. If the doctor says, hey, man, don't get this. It's, it's not going to help you. And it's probably a problem. I'll believe him or her. But if they say it's safe, healthy and effective, uh, I'll probably lean in that direction because, you know, they, they've spent significant time studying this yes and the we don't have to go much farther on this but 
it's <laughs> yeah, probably shouldn't. It's been out there. The information has been out there. If people are still um, pushing back against getting it, I just I wonder how much that that number is going to move, Scott. I, I mean, maybe if there's FDA approval, that brings some more of the group in. But I just I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't see Iowa going from around 70 percent, as Kirk said, to 85 by the start of the season. Maybe that changes a little bit when you get to when they get to camp and it gets impressed upon them and maybe <laughs> and you're having to get tested. Right yeah, <laughs> right. You get that thing shoved up your nose, at, you know, <laughs> daily. I think that I would almost make it a daily thing personally. Yeah. You know, um, a couple times a day. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, you got to stand there. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's probably the way to do it. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think it's a really low number and it's unfortunate, but, you know, you know, it, 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 this has become a political football since it started. And that's unfortunate that we all couldn't rally around it like whip inflation now of the late seventies, you know? So, so, uh, that's just the world we're living in, I guess. And we'll see where that goes. And, uh, Hopefully it does not become a big storyline during the season because if it does, one thing that I thought more about as I got into trying to think about football, Scott, when we were in Indianapolis, the West Division is really, really wide open. I'm not saying Illinois and Bielema are going to rise up and win the thing, but I think you can make a case probably for four teams. I think you can throw Minnesota in there with Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, and Northwestern, uh, the way things break. And obviously, I, I would probably rank those th- four schools in, in some type of order. I'm not saying they're dead even, mm-hmm. but I would not be shocked if any of those teams won the division just based on unbalanced schedules and things like that. Um, so if the COVID at Iowa is a storyline, one loss could cost you big time here. And that's something to kind of keep in mind, building off of kind of getting a chance to, to dig in a little bit when we were in Indianapolis, that there, this, this division is as wide open as I can remember. And a lot of that is based on last year. I don't know how much stock to put into last year based on Wisconsin just being decimated by the virus. Um, you know, Minnesota was hit pretty hard with it too. So how do those teams come back? It's, it's really, there's strength, strengths and weaknesses for all of these teams. And it's really going to be which of these teams come together. And if you're compromised in any way, that could certainly impact this. Yeah, no, you're no question. And I agree with you about the West division. And here's what I, I kind of think that there are tears to some extent and in that, that, I think Iowa and Wisconsin are the favorites and you can put them in whatever order you want, but I, and I don't think that they're going to fall out of like the top three. I mean, I'm not saying that they're guaranteed to win the West, but I think that they're going to be competitive in the West all the way through. Um, Minnesota is probably, I would put number three right now because of the offense but they have a lot of question marks, especially defense. They were terrible. I mean, they allowed mm-hmm. almost seven yards of play last year. They've got it. You know, they think they're going to be better and that's fine, but how much better, you know, just, it's just, you know, they're not going to jump into be the same type of defense that Northwestern was or anything. Northwestern has a lot of pieces to replace. Um, 
but they've got a lot of good talent and they always compete, you know, now I say that. And then I remember, Oh, two years ago, they were three and nine, but then yep. they went from winning the division to three and nine to winning the division again. So, you know, Pat Fitzgerald's an excellent coach. He's got great player. You know, he's got a great system and um, they, they have a new defensive coordinator too, replacing Mike Hankowitz. So that's going to be a challenge, a new quarterback transferred in Ryan Holinsky. So where are they? Nebraska is always an enigma uh, just because, you look at them and you look at the starters as much as anybody. And it's like, okay, you know, they, they've got good players. Marquis step, Iowa wanted him as a running back. Oliver Martin, we know we saw him in high school and younger, frankly, um, you know, they've got um, Omar Manning, who's terrific as a, a prospect wise. He's just like a bigger branded Smith in some ways. They've got a veteran defense, but can you, can he, Every year I feel like, all right, when, is this the year when Nebraska shows up? And every year, no, not this year. Um, is that going to be the case again? And then, you know, Purdue, it's kryptonite for Iowa. They play a style that makes it very difficult for Iowa to defend because they make you defend every blade of grass and Iowa, and they are not afraid to attack you multiple times down the field. And Iowa plays percentage defense, and that works for them. And then, as you mentioned, with Brett Bielema in Illinois, they had what, like 15 super seniors returned and, mm-hmm. and uh, they're a hard hitting team. They've got some decent players and you, you just kind of wonder, okay, how far are they from being yeah, the, the bottom feeder to, well, they're competitive that they can at least give you a fist fight. You don't really like that. So I, I think any of those teams can jump up into that top three. I think Iowa and Wisconsin are the best two today, but you know, if you, if you were to, at the end of the year, if we were to look at the standings and dare I say, you see Nebraska at the top, it wouldn't really shock me. We also got a, a depth chart last week, Scott. And again, it's July. I caution people to read too much into the depth chart. Um, unfortunate situation with Logan Jones. I think we should probably mention that Kirk. Uh, expounded on what he talked about earlier this summer about Logan being hurt. Doesn't look like he's going to be available for camp, which puts him behind the eight ball going into the season at a position where Iowa has some question marks, defensive tackle. So best, uh, best wishes to him. Hopefully he can come back. And uh, I think he could have been a really key component to that inside. So going to need some other guys to step in there. And uh, I think you got Noah Shannon and, uh, Yahweh Black. Um, who else do, I, do we have in there? Uh, Lucas uh, Van Ness. Lucas is there. Van Ness. Just really young, a really yeah. young Noah Shannon, not so much, but not a lot of reps. It, that defensive tackle, I think, to, continues to be, with, especially with those first two opponents, and now not having a Logan Jones, a uh, little more pressure on that. Yeah, Logan Lee's kind of in there. I mean, it's it's really going to be – it's really vital that they take some steps forward and they stay healthy because yeah. they lost – you know, even guys like, you know, Y.A. Black, you know, wasn't exactly healthy through the last part of spring football. And they need to keep – you know, Logan Lee, I mean, he hasn't been healthy pretty much his whole career. Um, you know, do – you know, how do you keep people honest that it's just it's going to be a really difficult situation i think there for them and yeah logan jones 
had every opportunity to be that kind of an important impact player. And now Lucas Van Ness was a surprise to me in camp. I thought, or in spring football, I thought he played well, you know, so, so that's not, that's not horrible for him. Um, What they, what they're going to need is if if there's any one player that really needs to take that step forward, it's YA black, Um, you know, losing Davion Nixon, the, the big 10 defensive player of the year and a, and a consensus unanimous first team all-American and an Outland trophy finalist, you, you know, it's hard. And he, but he's got a different body. He's got a different, he's got a skill set that I think, you know, could lend him to be the best player on the field at some point. But right now they just need him to, to play the position and play it the way they ask him to. And I think that if there's one saving grace for Iowa is that, you're not going to ask these guys to do something that they can't do. And they usually don't, they just tie up those blockers. You don't have to necessarily make plays uh, or statistics because we've got players behind them who can do that. Um, And you just hope that somebody off the edge can get to the quarterback once in a while. But, but uh, I do think it's a, it's a pretty big question right now. Yeah. Unfortunately they have time to work through it. Scott Um, camp starts, as you said, in six days and, They'll get a chance to kind of filter through that stuff. And guys have a tendency to, you know, make progress in August and emerge. And it's kind of what you got, you need at Iowa to happen. Um, and I would say the thing that stuck out to me, and, and again, not breaking news, but a lot of youth on this TV, a lot of young guys on here that um, they're going to have to contribute this year. It's, it's, it's got to be a little bit, uh, it's got to make the coaches a little uneasy. Not that they don't have faith in these guys, but really just not a lot of exposure, even in practice, to what they can do when they get out there on the field, you know, in front of 70,000. That's a whole different deal. It is. Um, I think in their case, though, that maybe, maybe what's helpful to them is they're not necessarily skill position players. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, the skill part of it is freaky for young, inexperienced players because, you know, quarterback, you get nervous and you make bad throws, do you drop the ball, do you fumble it? You know, if you're a skill position defensive player, do you get lost in space? And, you know, if you're a line of scrimmage now, granted, <laughs> that could be a death zone if, if you're not physically able to handle it. But at least it's just hit where you need to hit, you know, that the surroundings really shouldn't impact anything that you do. But, but I thought it was fascinating when you see two true freshmen in an Iowa summer depth chart, that's never happened before that I can remember. Um, yeah, you know, when you I'm see trying, Connor. Yeah. I'm trying uh, to think I, that's a good uh, point. Cause very few have actually made it to campus in the spring and certainly not the numbers that we just saw and then had the impact they did in the spring. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Connor Colby most years uh, probably would not be on the depth chart. Keegan Johnson, you know, uh, you know, in the fall, maybe he would make it, but not in the summer. But, but he was impressive in the spring, so he deserves to be there. So uh, I think uh, this is uh, – but there's a lot of youth. There's a lot of inexperience. Um you know, they, when you look at the offensive line, the set, the, the interior three are in great shape. Um, but the perimeter is, is very inexperienced at that level. I mean, Jack Plum has two starts, but that's about it. And uh, so how are you, how are you feeling about the tackles? I mean, you got Jack Plum and Nick DeYoung. That's 
two new guys that really have not had much exposure at this level. And I mean, it's college football. So guys graduate, right. You know, so you deal with this, but it just doesn't seem like Iowa's had to deal with this for a while. You have a Larry Jackson, a four year yeah. starter. So that makes a big deal. Tristan Wirfs, three years, you know, and the Kallenberger exit yeah. is even more at right. magnified when you look at this depth chart. Yeah. That to me is the big one is, is Kallenberger. And, and I, I still wonder if you'll see Cody Ants bounce outside. Yeah. I mean, you know how this works that they just kind of throw it on paper and then eventually they'll move something around. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Cody Ants ends up as the right tackle and then maybe, uh, you know, Justin Britt becomes a starter inside or Mason Richmond ends up a starter. I think Mason's going to be a starter at some point, whether it's this year and certainly the following year, he definitely will be. I will um, put it past Connor Colby kind of getting in there too and forcing his way in. Yeah, right. You know, and then, you know, David Davikoff was out for most of, you know, the spring that hurt him. Tyler Ellsbury played well at times in the spring. So I think he's got a good future. Um, but, you know, you're – you, they're going to be challenging. Britt. Yeah, right. And I, I think Britt is probably your next guy in on the interior. Yep. Um, and that could be very well if Ince ends up at right tackle. And, and uh, you know, it. to me, I, I think you just kind of – you try to formulate this and get your most experienced guys out there for your first two games. So there, you don't have a lot of time to play around. And, and I know this – That's <laughs> I'm surprised Kirk didn't say, hey, can we get a week zero game against Kent, <laughs> Kent State or something like that? Uh, just so you can get these guys some action um, and kind of figure things out. So, yeah, I mean, my confidence at the tackle position is we'll, – We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> you know, two, two pretty good defenses right off the bat. Yep. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, a super important August uh, for Iowa, as it always is. I mean, developmental program, you know, you need to identify and uh, great opportunity for a lot of these young student athletes to emerge. And there are opportunities for them to, to get themselves on the field here, particularly even if it's special teams. We know that's an avenue to playing time. And uh, I think they've recruited really well in the last several cycles. And I think we're going to start to see, we see it on the depth chart, but I, we're going to start to see some of those, you know, maybe a Justin Jacobs on special teams or, you know, guys like that, that may not see the field as much on defense or offense, but can help uh, on a special teams unit. And uh, maybe that, maybe that's their, you know, their avenue to more playing time uh, on offense and defense. Sure. I think in some ways you look at, you know, let, let's bring up Justin Jacobs, who's clearly the number three linebacker. He's playing Leo. Um, last year, Leo was involved 24% of the snaps. That's not, that's a pretty good number actually, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, one out of every four plays, you had three linebackers on the field and it's going to depend. I mean, they're going to be concerned you know, with Iowa state. Do they have enough beef when Brees Hall's running and do they go, you know, three, four or four, three, or do they continue to go cash? If that's going to be fascinating to watch, but um, if you're playing, you know, roughly, I don't know, 24% of 80, you know, that in the 20 snap range per game, plus another 15 or so special team snaps, you're playing, you're playing pretty good minutes or pretty, pretty good stamp count. So there's I really nothing to have um, just getting a look at Dane Belton. He, he's he's matured physically, so I think having him at that cash spot is 
it was good two years ago. It got better last year, and I think it's going to be even better this year. And then you've got Merriweather at Strong, Kerner. And those are three – I know it's three safeties instead of two safeties and a linebacker, but those are three physical guys that I think will help when Iowa goes, you know, with the 4-2-5. No question. Um, you know, I think Belton is kind of in that – uh, Amani Hooker territory, you know, where Hooker was able to really maximize his skill set in that position and play, you know, physical enough as a linebacker. You know, the only the only question you have in that regard is if somebody goes two tight ends and Iowa State's going to has two to three tight ends yep. is you're going to need some more power. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, does it, it, it so that that's the problem facing Iowa State this year is. They've got two to three tight ends. Charlie Kohler might be the best in the country. Chase Allen is as old as his dad now. You know, <laughs> he's like 27, it seems like. But, you know, um, that they can play slam ball and you're going to need to, to counter that. But they also have a really good quarterback and Xavier Hutchinson's a really good receiver. So they've got a lot there. Um, nah, but we can break down that matchup. And but we're getting close to it, though. So it's not yeah. like it's that far away. Uh, you know, it, it's really. To me, about defense, it's always it's going to be about how does the the defensive line control the line of scrimmage? Can it? And because Iowa's system depends upon not necessarily, you know, they don't stack the box. They don't put eight guys in the box like everybody else. They figure if the guys up front can at least play two gaps and hold that to the point where your you know your backers can flow to the football and and you can leverage the ball. You don't have to, and then your pass defense is in pretty good shape. But um, it's really going to be about you know inside inside zone and, and ISO plays that the opponent might run against you. Yeah, we'll obviously dive into that uh, Iowa State matchup pretty deeply when that rolls around. Anything else? Um, he hit on some recruiting. Preferred mm-hmm. most of the interesting stuff obviously came after he was off the podium and we got him on the side there a little bit yeah. in, the, in the Tavon Smith end zone. I call that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but um, yes. But uh, I, I think, I think the message is going to stay consistent here and we don't have to go too deep in this because I know we've talked about it before Scott, but um, there's not going to be panic in the recruiting. They kind of know what's going on here. Um, they know, that there's negative recruiting out there. They know that they were, their hands were tied with the pandemic, maybe a little bit more than some other schools in terms of getting guys on campus and how important that is to them and building up to the class. I think they've, they, self-awareness is important here and they're aware of what position they're in. And now they just got to execute, so to speak. They have to go into the fall and identify guys and get guys on campus and continue to build relationships and put together what they can put together in 2022. I just, it's pointless to panic. And I think that's the, when, when I I think maybe some of the questions directed at Kirk are, Hey, why aren't you panicking? He's not going to change his message. And that's basically, let's just keep, let's keep working on this and see what we can put together. Yeah. And, you, you don't really need to panic. And, and I, I think in some ways, you know, yes, I would I say it's disappointing or concerning? Yes, it is. You, when you bring 14 guys to campus, you know, 15 if you want to count in Wonkpa, uh, and four of them are committed, and out of the 10, 
official visitors um, that were uncommitted. Only one picks your school and seven you know, picks other, other schools and there's two left. Then yes, I, I, that was not very productive. I, I thought it was fascinating when he did say that, uh, you know, that there was one player or a couple of players that came that you were kind of like, yeah, that we would have said no probably a while ago that this just wasn't a fit. So um, that, I thought that was kind of intriguing. Um, you know, so there are a lot of different avenues to kind of go with this. But if, if they've kind of, you know, the self-awareness, I, I've always said I was the most self-aware program in the country anyway, because it knows what it is, knows what's, what it wants to be. And it you know, usually does a good job reflecting offensively a little bit. They don't as well. But, but uh, I, I think what they do is, is figure this is going to be a smallish class that, uh, okay, that's fine. Uh, you know, there's going to be a wave of decommitments. That's fine. Start recruiting those guys. You're, you're probably going to be in the 16 to 18 range as a, as a whole. Oh, well. And then worry about 2023 right now. You know, this is just kind of a blip. And if they get a quality 2023 group, then, hey, you know, you stick in the four or five guys out of here who ends up playing a lot for you and just move on. That I, I don't think one class will kill you. What, what happens is if you start chasing ghosts with this class and you, you fall behind in the next one, that's where it, it can really bite you. Yeah, and he, Kirk Ferentz addressed that. He said, you know, let's not just offer kids to offer kids and just to get bodies in here. you got to have fits. And, uh, you know, that's super important now, especially, you know, what happened in the last year when you're trying yeah. to um, – just kind of, I want to say rebuild, but just kind of you're, you're trying to build that environment in your program that, uh, you know, everybody's rowing in the same direction. It's important to get guys that are going to do that and not take chances. Uh, they had a running back on campus. I spoke with him last week, Scott, Jay-Z and Patterson from Florida, Deerfield Beach, Florida. Um, interesting kid. I think if you look at his offer list, he's got some really impressive offers. I'm not sure some of those offers are still there for him now. And I think Iowa's seen that. And he really likes Liddell Betts, who came from Florida back to Iowa City. This is an interesting one for me. If they can get this kid, um, I don't think anything's imminent. Uh, but he did take an unofficial – I mean, he came up here on an unofficial visit uh, just to check out Iowa with, the, with his team. Um I kind of just touched base with him. I didn't do a follow-up story yet, but he really enjoyed it. He's got Iowa up there now with among his favorite teams. They can if they can get him back on campus for a game and show him that game day environment and show him Tyler Goodson running wild. Uh, this is a good one. This this could be a good one because this is an important position. They really didn't address it last year. Um, other than that, uh, you know, Hilson, who really isn't yeah. a running back. So right. you know, so they can also sell, hey, you know, there's opportunity here. This is one to, one to keep an eye on, in my opinion. Sure it is. It's a, it's a big one, you know, a four-star from that area. And if you can, you can land somebody like that and show what you're capable of doing, you know, if, you, if Tyler Goodson goes and has a great year and he, you know, and, and Patterson decides, hey, this is for me, it's Big Ten, and they put a lot of alignment in the NFL and all we – you know, it, it's an easy sell in some ways if you're Iowa, which is, look, we put a lot of linemen in the NFL. We run this NFL scheme. It works when we have the right people running the football. Look what happened last year. And, and voila, you know, you could be the next one. You could do this and do it the right way. And, and uh, if that's the case, then, you know, you're in good shape. And, and I, I think this is probably a two back class. Don't you? I mean, the, yeah, the ideally, you know, 
And but then there's also, you know, let, let's let's think big picture here. I would imagine with a good year, Tyler Goodson will probably go to the NFL. I'd agree. Kelly Martin is, you know, Ivory Kelly Martin is probably, you know, this is his last year. He could come back again, but we'll see. But mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but after that, then you're looking at, uh, you know, Gavin Williams, LaShawn Williams, you know, Hilson, you know, do they hit the transfer portal? Do they hit a grad transfer? You know, some, you know, somebody who maybe, maybe they ran for 1500 yards at a, at a D, you know, an FCS school, you know, there are a lot of options here, but I think you could promise competition right away for, for Patterson. And as a four-star, that's what you want to do. If you're going to leave your home area and go somewhere like Iowa, you want to make sure that, Hey, I walk in the door, I got a chance to compete. And, and he, he could at worst be number two next year and, and rotate carries, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a, it's a big step for him. And yeah. And Hilson, as you said, you know, he's going to play running back this year in practice as the scout teamer, but who knows, he might end up on the other side of the ball by next spring, or maybe he stays there for a year or two until they figure some things out. Iowa did get a commitment this week, Scott, from somebody who visited on Sunday from the tailgate. It's uh, they like to call that the tailgate recruiting tailgater. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Cam Buffington, Mm -hmm. From Winfield Mount Union, um, a rare uh, – this kid's a freakish athlete. I, I encourage people to watch some of the basketball tape as well. Very, very good athlete. Um, interesting name. Not a name you forget easily. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of brings to mind the Flintstones for me. He seems like a Flintstone, <laughs> Flintstones character. Uh, but good kid. Uh, kind of interesting story. He really – was just kind of low on the radar and LeVar Woods reached out to him. I guess he told me in the beginning of June and said, Hey, well, why don't you come up and just come up for a camp? Cause uh, I think he got a, um, a tip that this kid may have some ability. And he came up and just blew the coaches away in June, got an offer uh, when he was here, I think, or, or the day after he went back home, uh, coaches uh, said, yeah, let's jump in with this kid. And uh Grew up an Iowa fan, and now along with Cody Fox, Iowa has two guys in their 2024 class. And for those folks that don't do the numbers game, you know, class by numbers, they're going to be sophomores in high school. <laughs> they're going to be sophomores in high school. <laughs> this is something that 10 years ago, would, would, if somebody told you, hey, they're going to have two commitments yeah. who are sophomores, not even sophomores yet in high school, you'd have been like, are you crazy? But you know, both of them are talented and, and Buffington is, is clearly, he reminds, he, you know, he brings to mind James Morris, you know, just a, a freakish athlete for his size is probably a bet. He's certainly a better basketball player than James ever was, but just kind of carries, you know, small, small town. Hey, just Settlesville, you know, yep. <laughs> Clay Edwards. I, I remember the whole like there and um, Clay Edwards <laughs> is, was, the, uh, is his uh, basketball coach. I talked to Clay yep, Edwards exactly. last month who said, yeah, this kid's, you know, just a tremendous kid and a tremendous athlete and the football coach. And I apologize for not remembering his name told me, he goes, yeah, it took everything we could do just to get Cam to tweet out that he got an offer because the kid does not like social media, does not like attention. Perfect Iowa Hawkeye kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't have to worry about him going forward. So <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I think it's a, that's a, 
a good one for Iowa. And if you keep him in the fold over the next three years uh, before he steps on campus, but, you know, more power to you, you know, it's going to be fascinating. Can he graduate early? Can he jump in on early 2024? Or is it, hey, I'm such a good basketball player and I want to be with my buddies and in uh, at the Winfield Mount Union High School, <laughs> the Wolves. Um, and, well, we'll worry about that when it comes. Who knows what's going to come in 2024? Uh, but, you know, they, they are making steps and progress on the, the classes ahead. And that's an important part of this. And, you know, they, they did pick up a tight end. They stole him from the baseball team, you know, Addison Ostranga. Uh, they still got some work to do in this, in this upcoming class. And it's just a matter of, you know, I think they could probably use a linebacker. They certainly could use a couple of defensive backs, um, you know, a couple of running backs, another receiver probably at least. So, uh, you know, but, but they also can supplement it. You know, I think that's one of the things with, um, you know, having that additional year for, let's take somebody like Riley Moss or Xavier Williams, that'll have that extra year option. And uh, would they want to come back for another year beyond this one? Uh, that's, that's, that remains to be seen, of course, but I think that's something that could help mitigate some of the issues with this recruiting class. Yeah, you certainly can, as you said, you can have guys that have that extra year that want to transfer, you know, from a Mac school or something like that as well, or an FCS school and emerges. So let's just kind of see as we've been kind of cautioning people on the podcast each week, let's just kind of see where this thing goes till, you know, until we get to December and then we can kind of evaluate then. And then even then, you know, back, you know, into next January, February, into the spring, uh, it doesn't stop. Recruiting never sleeps, Scott. It's uh, <laughs> No. <laughs> 24-7, 365 proposition. Uh, another thing, um, uh, another topic that you got to hear in person yesterday at Regents was uh, the naming of Kinnick Stadium's field after the legendary Duke Slater. Uh, wonderful move by the university. Uh, I think this is... Uh, there, there, is, there are no drawbacks or negatives to this. I know some people are confused and think that uh, they're renaming the stadium. Um, they're not. It's still Kinnick Stadium. It's Duke Slater Field at Kinnick Stadium. And uh, just a great move. I think uh, this, is, this is really it, another step forward um, in making progress over, you know, off of what happened last summer, last summer and prior. And I think this reflects very well on the university. It does. The university is celebrated, you know, is trying to celebrate Duke Slater more frequently, you know, by putting that bronze uh, depiction in the, in the North end zone. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to build awareness for him for the pro football hall of fame. Um, there have been conversations about how do you honor him? I know I actually I had a kind of a side conversation with Kirk last summer or I had an interview and then a, and it's part of a side conversation. I'm like, you know, um, you know, why don't you have an award named after him? And he's like, you know what, we need to do something for, for Duke Slater. No question. And, and uh, it looks like there will be, uh, you know, not, you know, pot, potentially a media award for him. Uh, but I think the uh, when you look at naming the field for one of your greatest players, 100 years after one of the great games in Iowa history, 
when uh, he was blocking and, uh, you know, and it comes almost exactly a hundred years to the day um, when Iowa beat Notre Dame and Iowa was, uh, and that was Notre Dame's only loss in a 34 game span. So it was, uh, they were mythical national champions, but legitimately they should, they were national champions. And uh, Duke Slater, his story is, is rich and vibrant and, 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 it shouldn't be forgotten and it shouldn't be lost and it should be celebrated as often as possible. I mean, you know, in order to, to make sure he was able to eat, you know, he would go to a hotel every day and, and peel potatoes um, and then was able to get meals out of this. And when he was growing up, he didn't have enough money for both a helmet and cleats. So he went with cleats. Uh, when he went to the, the Rock Island Independence, and, uh, and played there. I wrote a lot about Rock Island uh, this summer. I wrote about a 5,000 word story. Uh, but when I wrote about him, them uh, with, uh, with Duke, he commuted to Iowa City every day to go to law school and then became uh, a, uh, you know, a lawyer and then became, I think the second judge, black judge in Chicago history and a certain, you know, district court judge. And and it was just, and always made his way back to Iowa. So his story is, uh, is rich at times, twice in the NFL, he was the only black player. Um, and one team tried to classify him as Native American. So that way he wouldn't, uh, you know, that they were concerned about any kind of, uh, you know, stereotype or whatever. So, I mean, it's just, it's really a, a rich story. I think Iowa is right in celebrating it. There's no drawbacks, as you said, and uh, to keep his memory alive, I think is helpful for Iowa as it tries to to move forward and, and become a more inclusive uh, organization. It looks like they're going to to uh, to display on the field that it's Duke Slater Field, Scott. Is that correct? They're going to have like a almost like what they put a logo on the field. Yeah, I, I imagine it. I could see it being like, in, you know, on the white sideline, I could see him outlining it as like Duke mm-hmm. Slater Field or something, or maybe on both sli- uh, sides. I think that's uh, that would probably be right. Um, you know, wh- anywhere else, I'm, I'm not sure yet, but I think, you know, obviously we'll find out more in the, in the coming weeks. Yep, and it, uh, as all of the, the great aspects of Duke's story, as Scott outlined, a few minutes ago. Now this, when you put that on there, it it encourages people to find out about who he was and what he did. And that's inspirational. You can't, I mean, there's a, such a huge value on that. I saw Brad Banks tweet about it last night about how happy he was because um, he obviously knows the story from when he played here. But, you know, you get the new guys that come in and everybody gets to, to say, you know, who was Duke? Why is this Duke Slater field? Let me do some research and find yeah. out who he was. Right. I mean, they've got his shoes there at the, at the facility now that they can really talk and bring somebody in to bring to, to discuss what his impact was as a, as a person first, but, mm-hmm. but also as one of the greatest players. And he was one of the greatest players, you know, he was, he's a uh, charter member of the college football hall of fame. He's a member now of the centennial class for the pro football hall of fame. Um, and frankly, uh, he won, he, he had six or seven pro bowl or all pro nods in the twenties when there was extreme prejudice and he was still so good. And, and I, and I've read hundreds, if not a thousand uh, 
you know, parts of his story over that period of time where he was the best player on the field every single time he went out there that they ran behind him, you know, in, in kind of a legendary game, that's still a record in 1929, the Chicago Cardinals beat the bears 40 to six on th- the day after Thanksgiving. And, uh, and Ernie never scored all 40 points. That's still an NFL record for the most points per game, six touchdowns, four extra points. He ran behind Duke Slater, who played for the Chicago Cardinals. He was the best player on the field that day and enabled his running back to score that many points. So every single aspect of his game and, and his life and, and, his, and what he was able to do and accomplish, uh, you know, he was uh, a lot, he only missed one game. And that was because it was in Kansas City and Kansas City didn't allow black players to play against white players. Uh, he he had to take a separate train um, from Illinois to Chicago or to, from Illinois to um, Minneapolis because he was studying for the Illinois bar um, and he had to take that bar on a, on a Thursday or Friday. So he went separately with his t- from his team. They had no problem with it. Nobody had a problem with it. So, um, and he made it obviously and he became a lawyer and then of course a judge. So his story is, is, you know, remarkable and, and paramount. And really, uh, this was, a, this was an excellent view. And, and if you do look at Iowa, if you look at the symbolism for both football stadiums in the state to have to be named portions of the field or the stadium itself named after black men in the twenties who played for them is, is to me very, very important and, and impressive. For sure. And I encourage people as some great, uh, aspects of Duke's story outlined by Scott. And I encourage people to do a little research and, and read up on him. You won't be disappointed that uh, he is a representative of the university of Iowa uh, as an athlete, you know, accomplished, uh, in his personal life and a uh, great story. Be cool that uh, when the, there's TV broadcast this year, people will mention his name and that it's, you know, they'll say we're at Kinnick Stadium at Duke Slater Field. It'll be cool to see um, a couple guys uh, continuing their legacies tonight. Scott, as we shift to the NBA draft, uh, we won't go too heavily into this because some of you guys will listen to this podcast after. These guys have already been selected. Uh, I pulled up uh, being as uh, you are from the athletic. Uh, We will use the athletic uh, mock drafts. Zach Harper uh, posted his about three hours ago. He has Joe Wieskamp going at 47, Uh, 48 to the Atlanta Hawks. And then he's got uh, he's got Luca going 57 to the Charlotte Hornets. It seems that's kind of where they are, Scott, at least from mock. You, and you can't completely know what a general manager or franchise is going to do. There's always surprises and guys move up and down. But it seems kind of mid to late second round is where these guys are being picked. Yeah. I've seen uh, everything from – really high second round for Wieskamp to mid second round. And I've seen everything from mid to late second round for Garza. And, and, in in looking over, uh, I wrote stories that you kind of go out to, you know, what we decided to do was go to uh, write a, a story for like when they're selected that boom, here's their, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to basically for the team, because everybody here knows about Joe Wieskamp. Um, and, but 
you know, the Atlanta Hawks, nobody really does. So here's what you're getting in him. And, and uh, he had an, a remark, Wieskamp camp had a remarkable combine, you know, he had the fourth best max vertical jump, you know, and, and 42 inch vertical jump. That's just amazing. You know, he was fourth in lane agility, sixth in the three quarter sprint, um, you know, in 26 minutes, he had 26 points and he was six of seven from three point range in a, in a scrimmage. And, and so, he elevated his stock. It would not surprise me if he became the first first rounder since Ricky Davis. Now, I, I wouldn't put money on that, but you never know. You know, somebody like the Utah Jazz at 30 or, or you know, somebody could trade up, too. I mean, NBA has even more trades than the NFL. Uh, Luca uh, had, uh, you know, his his limitations are probably magnified more than his positives. And. A lot of that is, you know, what he, you know, at, at the combine, he wasn't a, he didn't really post really good numbers like in the, you know, his vertical, I think it was 24 inches. So that's not going to get you many spots. But I think if there's a, a team out there that can see him, what can he do well? And let's magnify that not and try to shield his deficiencies you're going to have a great player on your hands. So uh, it's probably late in the, in the draft, but Hey, that's two in one year. That's pretty good for Iowa. Um, your main NBA draft guy is, is it Sam Vecini? Is that how yeah. you pronounce his last yeah. name? He's got, yeah. uh, he's got Wies camp at 35. Right. To new Orleans. And where's he have Luca? Uh, Luca's like 50. Nine or something like that. He's got yeah. Luke at 58, just yeah. squeezing in um, to the Knicks. Hey, Knicks there you could go. use that. Uh, yeah. It's interesting, though. You look at who he has at 60. It's Matthew Hurt, uh, yeah. former five-star from Minneapolis. You just never know in these things. And there are so many things that they look at in the NBA draft. You know, we're going to take – age is such an important thing. Like, they, to me, it's crazy, but they make such a big difference if somebody's 19 – and as opposed to 20 or 21, you know, cause you're thinking about contract length and I don't know. I, I think sometimes they overthink this and, and I think that's the case with Luca just put on the film. Hmm. He's not going to be a guy. He's not your starting center, but no. you'd be hard pressed to convince me that he can't help an NBA team as a, as a role player, you know, that's down the bench a little bit that can come in and contribute to a winning environment to a right. winning franchise, to, you know, and same with Joe, I, just both really good team guys that have skills. Yeah. They both have deficiencies, but who doesn't? In the NBA? You know, it, it's, it's a lot like, but I think it's even worse than, than the NFL draft where we've seen it for years that, Oh, Desmond King doesn't do this. He can't, he's not right. this, he's not this. And then all of a sudden, Oh, he's a, he's an all pro. <laughs> you know, he's, yeah. he's a really good player. And it's the same way here, especially with Luca, which is put on the tape and see why is he so successful? Now, when he went up against guys like Kofi Coburn, you could see where the, the deficiencies are and how he has to improve in that area. But that said, he's still, um, he still does so much. And I don't think you can discount what he brings to a team from a, a work ethic, from a, you know, there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of shitheads in the NBA. There are a lot of shitheads in all pro sports yep. and new and, you know, in, in journalism too. So, <laughs> I mean, um, 
but by and large, uh, you know, I think there are, there is an opportunity there where you bring in a guy like that, you know, you're going to, what you're going to get in a work ethic. He is going, if somebody has an off night, he's going to hit 20 on them and he's always going to bring it. Now, can he jump higher? Can he dunk, you know, do all those things? No, not, not, he's not great at that, but, but I agree, man. NBA is a long season, 81 games, um, or 82 games. Is it 81 or 82? 82. 82. Gotcha. I was thinking baseball, it's 162, 81, you know, my math's bad, but you know, Hey, he's uh, so, yeah, I think you take a chance on him. And, and if you feel like, you know what, we don't really think you have a spot today, allocate him over to Europe for a year, let him play against pros over there, see how he does, you know, and, and then bring him back and um, he'll be in the NBA, but Joe, Joe, to me, he'll be on an NBA roster and he'll be a major contributor for a lot of teams for a lot of years. Yeah. And Luke is going to make money no matter where it is. He's going to make money professionally. He's, uh, he's, uh, too good at what he does to not find a spot somewhere. And, uh, I hope it's in the NBA. You know how this goes, Scott. A lot of times it's just opportunity. It's just getting a chance to, to show what you can do. Um, I think, and we've talked about this with Tyler Cook. I mean, he just pound, he just kept kept at it. Just you know, ten day contract here, and you know, all the transactions since he's you know been in the NBA, and then he kind of got an opportunity and was able to break through in Detroit. And that's really just kind of if I think either one of these guys, if given the opportunity, they can help NBA teams. And I agree with you, Joe, a little bit more, because I think he is, he is modern day. I mean, he's almost six, seven, he measured it in at just under six, seven. He is modern day NBA uh, guy that can hit the three and D play some D. <laughs> yeah. Three and D. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, you know, he's probably going to have to learn how to play D <laughs> at yeah. that level. And that may take him a couple of years, but to be able to hit those shots the way he does, they have that length to, to be able to dribble off the bounce and have that athletic ability shoot. He's yeah, and, he, and he's a good offensive basketball player. So I, I think he's going to be an asset for somebody uh, he can play for a long time. And, and uh, you know, even though he's not necessarily projected to, I, I think that, there's a case to be made that late in the first round, he might be the first one since Ricky Davis in 98 to, to end up in that spot. And, and that would be something, you know, I mean, Iowa hasn't had a ton of draft picks, but, but as you said, you know, you look at, you know, there have been players who have made it, um, you know, when's Devin, the last time they had two in the same draft? Was that 98? Marvel? That was uh, Davis and Ryan Bowen. That's right. Okay. I was thinking yeah. Koch in there somewhere too, but I guess he was, he's the next year. Okay, he was next he was year. year after that. Okay. Yeah, he was 99. So, uh, you know, last time they had more than two was 89 with, with Armstrong, Marble, and, and Horton. Okay. And, Ar- and Armstrong and Marble were first rounders, but, uh, you know, they had great talent. Yeah. <laughs> they, maybe, they maybe exceeded the talent of this draft, but no, it's, um, it, it, I'm, I'm, in, I'm interested in watching it. I'm glad we're not doing it at the uh, rec center in, in North Liberty. <laughs> yeah. The old uh, primetime days. Yeah. But that starts, I believe it's on tonight at 7 Eastern. Yeah. That starts. So yeah. I'm sure it's going to be long and drawn out that first round in those lottery picks. So yeah. um, you have time to, to make some popcorn and settle in and watch that along with uh, uh, SUNY Lee. 
Mm-hmm. You, know, you can switch, switch back and forth, picture in a picture, however you want to do it. You can watch multiple things tonight. I will be heading out, Scott, as we talked about before recording. I'm going to go over and check out Brody Brecht over at uh, Banks Field tonight. Um, see him throw against Waukee, I believe they're playing. So nice to have the 4A baseball state tournament here uh, in town. And uh, it's a good opportunity to go see him. I'm looking forward to, to watching him throw. So if you're listening to this before that, it's 5, five o'clock tonight. I think you have to buy tickets online you might want to go to the athletic association if you decide to go over there, uh, but it's worth your time. I think you'd be, you have a good time going over there, watching a future Hawkeye baseball player and football player perform um, for one, hopefully for one of the last times in his high school career, not the last time. Yeah. I think he hopes he has one more game after this one. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. But oh, I mean, at least at, at Ankeny, right. Is this right. a semifinal or a quarter final? This is a quarter. I believe tonight. So So he'll throw tonight to get them into that next round. And then, you know, how it goes in high school baseball, who's your two and who's your three. And that's Mm -hmm. really the pitching depth is who decides these, uh, these tournaments. Yeah. It's always a big question for, we've seen it for, you know, 20, 30 years now where, where if you're a, if you're a high school team and you've got an ace, do you throw them early to make yep. sure you advance or do you hold on to them and make sure that um, you can get to a championship or win a championship? And, you know, that that's where softball is, a, is in a better shape because you can just throw the same pitcher. Every day. <laughs> no. uh, but the baseball, uh, you know, it's like, you know, and it's, it's even more so at the smaller school level where a lot of times you have one great player right. <laughs> and then your number two could be, I'll just hope he gets it across the plate, you know. <laughs> nice thing tonight over at Banks is they'll have they have the radar gun there too. So we'll be able to and they throw it up on the scoreboard. So we'll be able to oh, see what's wow. chucking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, one one thing that kind of snuck out at uh, in Indianapolis, I should probably bring up is um, that uh, you know, Tyler Linderbaum kind of broke the news, but Nick DeYoung got placed on scholarship. So tackle for Iowa. And, and he was a guy that I was kind of surprised in the very beginning that actually walked on because he's such a great athlete in so many different areas. And so the fact that, but he was worked with the first team all camp, they have available scholarships that made perfect sense for him to, to do that. And, uh, and so that's one, I don't know if anybody else did, but uh, he's, he's one that's on scholarship now. Yep, that's uh, good. I'm glad you got that in there and uh, well-deserved and uh, not the first guy to walk on. But I think we kind of got a hint of, hey, who's this kid? When he was thrown in there as a true freshman walk-on. <laughs> you know, yeah, line, right. And we're like, whoa, who's this guy? Why is why is he in there so early? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there, <laughs> there's some sort of test, and I have to look it up, but, you know, some sort of athletic test, you know, based on these track athletes on uh-huh. who, who goes, uh, you know, what's their upside. And he had really high upside. And one of our writers, Max Olson, who kind of looks into that stuff, kind of highlighted him for me when he walked on and I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this guy. And, and then here, you know, heard a lot about him at Pella. And next thing you know, here he is. And Kirk said last week that, you know, he thinks he's going to be a starter. He doesn't know if it'll be the left side or the right side. So that's, uh, you know, and he's like, well, and we'll keep Jack outside. So I, I'm really anxious to see how that competition works out and who goes where and who ends up winning a job. But it's going to be a full August for these guys, you know, to, to see it all come come out. Yep, and they did that with with Alaric and Tristan. And 
worked out that Alaire just felt like he was a, a better left tackle, had trouble on the right side. And what did Tristan say? Something about wiping his butt when he was asked. Yes. <laughs> asked about his versatility to play either side. Yeah. Yeah. He, it was funny. Cause I remember I asked him, I said, well, what's it like to actually, uh, you know, switch in a possession. And he would do that. You know, there was one time where he moved from to left tackle and they bring in somebody on the right side and vice versa move over. And, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like what coach Polisek says. It's like wiping your butt with your other hand. And I'm like, Oh my, I, I just, my mouth just dropped. And I'm like, you sure you want to say that, Tristan? You know, but uh, uh, you know what an impressive athlete he was. He's at or near the top of the list. But <laughs> yep, lot to lot to sort out through August. We're getting close, Scott. Next podcast we do will be in August, and uh, looking forward to uh, the month of August podcast where we're getting intel on what's going on on the field and talking football again, and hopefully the. The realign of conference realignment and things like that kind of dies down a little bit here, and we can actually talk about football um, going into the season and not where teams are going uh, or where programs are going in the future. Yeah, I think what we'll see is the the rhetoric will kind of continue to ramp up for a day or two more, then it'll kind of settle down, and and then at some given point we'll see what the next move is and uh, whether that's uh, the ACC, the big 10, the PAC 12, taking a look at a different school or set of schools or, or whatever. And, uh, but I think you'll probably see a situation for, you know, probably within the next week that it starts to die down because tomorrow is it's expect. I think today that um, the SEC presidents officially in the, invite Oklahoma and Texas and tomorrow Oklahoma and Texas officially um, accept the invitation. So let's see how long we can draw this out and get as much attention as we can. Right. Well, you know, you got to get those boards together and stuff. (laughs) Like this stuff's not already decided. Oh yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, (laughs) like with, uh, I remember in particular with Nebraska, it was basically like they had to agree to say yes then request an invitation, you know, because yes. they were not going to be embarrassed by turning down, you know, having somebody turn them down. So yeah. that, you know, that's kind of how it happens at, at big boy tables because, you know, the, the SEC and Big Ten, they have the, you know, it's like Thanksgiving and we have this big, thick, long table and <laughs> uh, there's the cardboard ones around the corner and down in the basement. So kidding table. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to continue to talk about Iowa football on this podcast and Iowa basketball. And we'll talk about where Joe Wieskamp and Luke Garza go next week and uh, more football. I'm sure the recruiting will happen and uh, always stuff to talk about. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the realignment only when it uh, pertains to the Big Ten and Iowa um, for the most part. So. If you're looking to get away from the, that nonsense and that talk, please keep listening to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Listen to it anyway, if you like it. Um, mm. We appreciate everybody out there who listens, and uh, we will be back to talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott. <laughs>